Thank you, Josh. Well, it is my privilege to introduce to you U.S. Air Force type chaplain, Doug Hess, who's a PCA teaching elder. How long have you been in the Air Force now, Doug? 15 years. 1-5, 15 years. Glorious years. And the Lord has saw fit to, was it this week? Was your promotion this week? The Lord has saw fit to honor Doug with a promotion this past week to Lieutenant Colonel. So uh, his wife, Amber, son, Jude, and daughter, Hope, are also a part of our congregation. And so, Doug, as the Lord has saw fit to honor you this week, would you honor him? Well, thanks. Uh, I got the word that I'm promoting. It hasn't happened yet, so... um... Uh, it's in the process. So um, I am the deputy uh, installation chaplain at Space Base Delta One. Yes, you heard it correctly. Uh, that's Pearson, Shriver, and Cheyenne Mountain. Uh, been active duty for 15 years. And for the past 21 years, I've had the privilege to be married to Amber. And I'm so thankful she has followed me on this wild ride through 12 different homes in 21 years. And I think about six or seven different states a number of deployments uh, to do ministry together. And for all you single guys out there, I want to give you a little shout out, and I want you to be encouraged to believe that, yes, despite your many shortcomings and faults, you too might pull off one of the great upsets in the dating world. Um, So be encouraged, dream big, and shoot for the moon. Uh, Well, a little word uh, about myself. Uh, Of course, my oldest daughter, Eliza, is working at Ridgehaven. That's the PCA's uh, summer camp in the mountains of North Carolina. And uh, she is about ready to enter her second year at that bastion of academic and athletic prowess, Louisiana State University, home of the Fighting Tigers. Um, I I believe she's one of 10 Christians on the campus down there, but we have good hope for her at LSU. And of course, then there's Jude, uh, who now surpasses me in height uh, and in his basketball prowess. He reminded me that the other day as he beat me down 12 to 2 at the Air Force Academy. He kind of bumps into me in the kitchen some days and says, what's up, little man? And I say, okay. And and then there's Hope, uh, my pint-sized ballerina, fireball, baking chef extraordinaire. At age 12, she was crushing cooking macarons. And of course, she makes tons of baking culinary delights, which are always a blessing when I get ready for my PT test. So that is my family. Welcome to Team Hess. But one last quick word, as I was preparing for this sermon, I got to tell you, I faced a ton of temptation dealing with it. You see, I am a diehard LSU fan. And when you're filling the pulpit of an East Mississippi, excuse me, an Alabama fan, you feel a lot of temptation. In fact, I asked Amber, would it be a problem if I wrote Go Tigers or 2019 or Joe Burrow on the pulpit just for Matt? And she said, no, honey, that's probably not a good thing. And I said, well, what about my LSU bow bow tie? No, no, honey, that's not a good thing. So I kind of saw where this was going and feeling a level of guilt because of the great um, prowess of preaching that um, Matt and Kurt preach. I decided to only wear my Argyle LSU socks today. So there you have it. I'm here to preach. Well, I got to tell you, Psalm 55 uh, is not an easy psalm to preach. You know, um, I almost left the chaplain corps because uh, I didn't feel like they were going to allow me to preach enough. And then, of course, God took care of that. Uh, I was at one base preaching two and three times every Sunday. But why is this psalm so challenging? And I got to tell you, I've been wrestling with this one for about five weeks. And the reason why is because it speaks to the deepest of wounds. And just like a doctor who has to have great care in performing the most delicate surgeries... 
uh, because it can elicit the greatest pain or the biggest misstep, so too could I with this psalm. And so I'd cover your prayers. So um, as you have a Bible or if you want to look on your smartphone, we're in Psalm 55. I'll be reading from the ESV translation. David writes, give ear to my prayer, O God, and hide not yourself from my plea for mercy. Attend to me and answer me. I am restless in my complaint and I moan because of the noise of the enemy, because of the oppression of the wicked. For they drop trouble on me and in anger they bear a grudge against me. My heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fear and trembling come upon me and horror overwhelms me. And I say, oh, that I had wings like a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. Yes, I would wander far away. I would lodge in the wilderness. I would hurry to find shelter from the raging wind and tempest. Destroy, O Lord, divide their tongues, for I see violence and strife in the city. Day and night they go around it on its walls. Iniquity and trouble are within it. Ruin is in its midst. Oppression and fraud do not depart from its marketplace. For it is not an enemy who taunts me, then I could bear it. It is not an adversary who deals insolently, then I could hide from him. But it is you, a man, my equal, my companion, my familiar friend. We used to take sweet counsel together within God's house as we walked in the throng. Let death steal over them. Let them go down to Sheol alive, for evil is in their dwelling place and in their heart. But I call to God, and the Lord will answer me. Evening and morning and at noon, I utter my complaint and moan, and he hears my voice. He redeems my soul in safety from the battle that I wage, for many are arrayed against me. God will give ear and humble them. He who is enthroned from old because they do not change and do not fear God. My companion stretched out his hand against his friends. He violated his covenant. His speech was smooth as butter, yet war was in his heart. His wounds were softer than oil, and yet they were drawn swords. Cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved, but you, O oh God, will cast them down into the pit of destruction. Men of blood and treachery shall not live out half their days, but I will trust in you. Let's pray. Almighty God, thank you for this time of your eternal word. May you feed your saints the truths of your sacred scripture so that we may love you more be convicted of our sin, be consoled by your love, and grow closer to you through the power of your gospel. And I ask that in Christ's name. Amen. Well, on the back of your bulletin, I've broken down Psalm 55 into three parts. It's nice and easy. Uh, verses 1 through 8, angst. You could also uh, put the word anguish. Uh, 9 through 15, anger. And then assurance from 16 to verse 23. Other pastors have titled this Fear, Fury, and Faith. Regardless of which, there's three kind of clear sections to this psalm. And so let's begin right at the beginning here with verse one. You see, we understand very clearly that David is not in a good position internally. There is a deep churn within his soul. So he says, give ear to my prayer. Hide not yourself from my plea for mercy. Attend to me and answer me. 
Ladies and gentlemen, those are direct statements by David to God. No more time for formalities. We have got to get the business. The need is too great to play around. There is a deep anguish in his soul. And so he's restless in his complaint. You get the picture that he's not sleeping through the night. Can I hear an amen? When he tries to take a nap, he can't. Because it's his situation. There is so much turmoil in his mind. And worse than an 80s one-hit wonder, it is replaying through his mind over and over again. David can't shut off the noise. And the situation continues to play. And the angst continues. And so he moans. Charles Spurgeon said, what a comfort that we may be this thus familiar with our God. We may not complain of him, but we may complain to him. Our rambling thoughts, when they are distracted with grief, may bring, we may bring before him. He will attend so carefully that he will understand us, and he will often fulfill desires which we ourselves could not have expressed with intelligible words. Is this not even the way that our Lord prayed during his time on the earth? David continues, they drop trouble upon me, and in anger they bear a grudge before me. Now, we do not know this precisely of whom David is referring to, but many commentators will either allude to David's son, Absalom, or his good friend um, and counselor, Ahithophel. It seems to me that both can be taken in view, and so I will do that today. And so the question needs to be asked, why would these men, one David's own son and the other his close friend, be so enraged at David? Well, you can keep your finger in Psalm uh, 55, but we will look some at some Second Samuel. You see, Ahithophel had been David's loyal counselor for years, and he was quite gifted. The writer of Second Samuel says that the counsel of Ahithophel gave was as if one consulted the word of God. Boy, there's a OPR statement right there, right? Holy cow! And he was esteemed by David and Absalom. So why did he betray him? Well, if you do some hard searching in 2 Samuel, we learn in uh, chapter 24, verse 34, that Epitaphel is the father of Eliam, which is the name of Bathsheba's father. And if it is the same Eliam, then Epitaphel is Bathsheba's grandfather. Assuming this is the case, we can surmise how Epitaphel felt great anger towards David for his illicit sexual escapade with his granddaughter, and how David abused his power as king, not only to advance his sexual desires, but defiling his granddaughter and ultimately killing his grandson-in-law, Uriah, in which he had murdered. But ladies and gentlemen, that's not the end of the story. We also know that David confessed his great sin in Psalm 51. He also fasted for and wept over the child that he had with Bathsheba. And that God might spare his child's life. Additionally, David didn't shrink from his responsibility with Bathsheba. As he brought her in as his wife, he provided for her. And scripture also records that they had four children together, one of them being Solomon. If David confessed his sin to Lord, it seems to me that he would have also done the same to Bathsheba. Yet it seems David's repentance was not enough for Ahithophel. That's a mouthful, isn't it? 
He labored bitterness towards his old friend and displayed such a deep treachery by joining Absalom in his rebellion to take the crown. So what about Absalom? Absalom's was probably deeper and much more complex. You see, he and his sister Tamar were children of David and their mother Macaw. And within the royal court, there was a host of half-brothers and half-sisters. And their oldest brother, Amnon, was enraptured with Tamar's beauty. And through the coaxing of a vile man, Amnon raped his half-sister Tamar and then kicked her out of his house. His actions condemned Tamar to a life of solitude and understandably so enraged Absalom, even though he kept it to himself. David was furious, but for one reason or another, he did not take action as king and father upon Amnon. Two years later, Absalom hatched a plot in which he had Amnon murdered by his own men. After fleeing the scene, Absalom slowly works a plot to usurp his dad. One can only assume David's inaction also led to Absalom's bitterness for his father. But scripture also communicates David's love for his son, despite his pain and anger over Absalom's actions and perhaps his own inactions. The Bible also records David's formal blessing as he allowed Absalom back to Jerusalem. Yet Absalom was not free of his own wickedness. Scripture hit hints of Absalom's vanity and his connection with his amazingly handsome appearance and how his weighty locks of hair were so deeply prized in Israel. He also intentionally stole the hearts of David's subjects as he would stand at the gate and as people wanted to plead their cause, he would say, oh, that someone were here to give them justice. And he pointed to himself. Four years later, after swaying the people's hearts, Absalom set into motion his betrayal. He declared his intent at Hebron, which is David first ruled as king. And with Epitaphel's counsel, Absalom went further by, having, uh, by counseling Epitaphel to have four sexual relations with David's concubines on the top of the palace. Absalom's despicable acts communicated his disdain for his father and his desire to possess the throne. And so you can imagine the depth of pain when David wrote in Psalm 55, verses four and five, my heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fear and trembling has come upon me and horror overwhelms me. You know, as David is writing this, he is in fear of his life. His son and his close friend are about to enact vengeance upon him. Not only is there the pain of betrayal, but also the knowledge of how deeply vulnerable he is to their plot. He is at his weakest. And so David cries out, oh, that I had wings like a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. Yes, I would wander far away. I would lodge in the wilderness. You know, if you've been in a situation where someone betrays you, you can relate to David's pain and his desire to just get away, to get away from it all. Songs like Blake Shelton's Some Beach, Somewhere, have a whole new meaning, don't they? Or perhaps you've experienced betrayal in a work relationship gone sour and you echo Alan Jackson's lyrics, oh, pour me something tall and strong, make it a hurricane before I go insane. 
It's only half past 12, but it's five o'clock somewhere, right? Let me get out of here. This is too much, Lord. But all this angst from the betrayal moves to something else. And that's our second point, anger. And so David requests this strong words. Listen in verse nine. Destroy, O Lord. Divide their tongues, for I see violence and strife within the city. You know, as king, David loved God, but he also loved his people. And so he asked God to create confusion, as in the scenario of the Tower of Babel. Why? Because these usurpers do not know how to rule. As a result of their treachery, other injustices follow. David cites them, iniquity, trouble, oppression, and fraud. You know, there was another king who also had many tears come from his eyes over a rebellious city when he said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often would I have gathered you together even as a hen gathers her chickens in her wings and you would not. You see, Jerusalem during the Lord's time possessed the same iniquity, trouble, oppression, and fraud. And as the money changers in the temple charge exorbitant amounts for their sacrifices, and the chief priests condemned the most innocent of men. But as painful as it is to see your people, your city, your country abused by wicked men, David got to the heart of the matter. Verse 12, for it is not an enemy who taunts me, then I could bear it. It's not an adversary who deals insolently, me, for then I could hide from him. But it is you, a man, my equal, my companion, my familiar friend, We used to take sweet counsel together within God's house as we walked in the throng. For those of you who have experienced betrayal, it's like a knife to a liver that doesn't stop twisting. It continues to cut. You feel like your life is on the uh, death's doorstep. Spurgeon said this, reproaches from those who have been intimate with us and trusted by us cut us to the quick. And they are usually so well acquainted with our peculiar weaknesses that they know how to touch us where we are most sensitive and to speak so as to do most damage. The slanders of an avowed antagonist are seldom so mean and dastardly as those of a traitor. We can bear the taunts of Shimei but we cannot endure is from Ahithophel. What he's referring to is you might remember when David flees from the city, a man named Shimei starts throwing curses at David and chucks rocks at him and all this dirt. And one of David's men goes, let me go up there and kill that dead dog. And David says, who am I to do with you? Perhaps this is from the Lord. But when it gets to Ahithophel and Absalom, oh no, The pain is much too deep. You can hear David's prayers take action as in 2 Samuel 15, he asks that the tongues be divided. And so he sends his friend Hushai the archetype to go secretly on David's behalf to disrupt the counsel of Ahithophel. And sure enough, in 2 Samuel 17, he does, thus sparing David's life. Yet because of his pain and deep wickedness, David cries out, let death steal over them. Let them go down to Sheol alive, for evil is in their dwelling place and in their heart. No doubt David had contributed to Absalom's and Epitaphel's anger toward them. 
But here's the problem, ladies and gentlemen, and notice with me, their problem is taking revenge in their own hands. And the level of proportionality to David's wrongs, which they had experienced. You see, somehow they forgot the bounty of love that David had given to them as their father and as their king. Yes, David had sinned against them, but his sins did not deserve mutiny, murder, and rebellion. And hence, David cries for their death. Now, we might hit, want to hit the pause button and go, hey, Doug, this off, sounds awfully unchristian. Shouldn't David love his enemies? But at this point, Absalom and Epitaphel had committed treason. Only death will stop them. His plea is also understandable for those of you who have been deeply wronged. The, the great anger, the great angst you feel in your soul is because you are right in how they wronged you. It screams to your soul, I'm right, and they're wrong, and they have wounded me. You see, your friend, your family member, your co-worker has done you wrong, and it hurts. And just as Kurt so well said, ideas, smart comments, words loaded with rebuke, perhaps curse words, plans of retaliation can fill your mind. But this, but what David counsels us, and what the word of God counsels us, we got to take these to the Lord. You got to take them to the Lord. You must appeal to him because he is God. Paul writes, beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay. David asked that God would do what he did to Jans and Jambers, to these men who opposed Moses. The whole earth swallowed them up and they were no more. You see, God is wanting justice for their, or David is wanting justice for their rebellion. But then David moves to what his soul so desperately needs, and that's assurance. Despite all that's going on, he says, but I call to God. Why? Why do I call to God? Well, first of all, David says it's because he saves. So, you see, even though David isn't blessed with the whole canon of Scripture, he was blessed with the Pentateuch. And he knew the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph is faithful to his promise. He will deliver. He will save. Next, David says, is that God hears. What a great comfort it is that even as he is dealing with this great turmoil, as he says, evening, morning, and noon, as many times as he utters his complaint, the Lord hears. Not once does God do this. Not once does God say, but God hears the cries of his children. So often when one goes through deep betrayal, what often can bring a deep comfort is the listening ear of a friend. How much more, how much more is the comfort of our God in that he knows every detail, even the ones our friends may forget? Why else does David call to God? Well, he redeems. Other translations says he delivers. David is confident as he reflects on the character of God. Though he tarry, he will redeem in safety. He will deliver in peace and unharmed. And what's interesting about this story is David goes back to Jerusalem without fear of attack. God provided him the wisdom also to navigate what, what, what many would seem as a tumultuous reintegration. And David possessed the confidence because he reminded himself that God, 
God himself would give ear to his complaint. It's at this point, David again reflects on the nature of his adversaries. David draws confidence. God would humble his adversaries because God is a God of justice. He is enthroned from the old. And but what bothers David and what bothers you and me when betrayal happens is this, notice with me in the text, this violation of his or her covenant. Perhaps in David's case, there was a legal uh, ramification to be faithful to the king, but I don't believe that's what David's citing. You see, what David is citing is his or her violation of their friendship. You, just like in war, warfare, when nations seek to conceal their intentions, so true was that of Ahithophel and Absalom. Their words were smoother than butter, softer than oil, yet war was in their heart. And their words were drawn swords. Yet David says the reason that they fail has nothing to do with their intelligence, though great. Nothing to do with their beauty, though impressive. Nothing to do with their strength or their skill set. Rather, David says is that in verse 19, their nature is problematic, ladies and gentlemen. He says they do not change and they do not fear God. In other words, they were unrepentant. So David calls on God, his redeemer, who hears in complaint, the one who will save, and then the one he casts his burden upon. So David says, I cast, I cast my burden upon the Lord. Often when one is deeply betrayed, they ask, what have I done to deserve this? Have you ever asked that question? I know I have. What did I do? Why is this happening to me? Why does God allow those close to me to wound me? It is often in this time that God sometimes tarries so that we might consider our own actions and receive outside counsel and seek the Lord. And if we are at fault, we need to confess our sins and our missteps to those we offended and perhaps seek reconciliation. But the problem sometimes is that we are right. We are right. What they have done is wrong. And the Lord tarries those and he waits while those who betray us go on with their life. And it is at that time that David says, we gotta cast, we gotta cast our cares upon the Lord. Why? Well, so the Lord may help us forgive and love our enemies. We need his strength. Second, to trust that our God will act and indeed he will. You see the challenge when we are betrayed is we wonder where is the Lord's love during that time? Why would he allow that to happen to us? Their actions beg us to, to ask, why then did the father allow his son to be betrayed? Was it not that he, Jesus, could win back his enemies to himself? So what happens is when we cast our burdens, Lord, we give it to God because why, David says, he will sustain you. That word in the Hebrew, sustain, means to nourish he will feed you. He will provide for you. He will sustain you. The writer of Hebrews says, consider him who endured such hostilities from sinners against himself that you may not grow weary and lose heart. Evidently, this must have been a prominent scripture because Peter picks up of it on the, in his book in the fifth chapter. In verse seven, he says, and he takes it a step further. He says, cast all your anxieties upon him. Why? because he cares for you. 
You know, it is so easy to forget the love of God when you suffer from one who betrayed you. Why? Because you had previously believed in the love of your friend, the love of your family member, the love of your coworker, and they have failed, not only failed you, but they've attacked you. And that is where Peter, who himself betrayed the Lord, reminds us that he cares for you. Jesus, above all, knows what it means to be betrayed. So consider what happens when you cast your cares upon the Lord, how powerful it is. Peter tells us you will be able, you yourself will be able to resist the devil. Don't let that just pass by, folks. You will be able to resist the devil. Not only that, you won't be isolated. You will be strengthened by the church who face similar trials. And Peter finds finishes by saying, and after you have suffered a little while, it's not going to be this way forever. The God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. I believe that's why David says at the end of Psalm 55, I will trust in you. I will trust in you. Why? Because God judges you see the end of Ahithophel. You see how in his end, Lord, you know what's going to happen. He ultimately hangs himself because he realizes David will come back. And Absalom is judged as his, his hair that represents his beauty and glory gets caught in a tree and he's hung by it there. And eventually Joab and his men come and end his life. Don't forget the Bible says, cursed is the man who hangs on a tree. You see, God sustained David and he stopped the rebellion. As I was re uh, preparing for the sermon, I listened to one pastor and he, um, <clears throat> he talked about this guy named Swain Plummer who has a commentary on the book of Psalms. And Spurgeon said it was the best commentary he ever read on Psalms. And Swain Plummer said this about this whole situation, about David's prayers about dealing with Absalom and Ahithophel's rebellion. He said this, nothing is as effective in dealing with cruel, wicked people, terrible situations, and heavy burdens than prayer. The most powerful weapon against a cruel, wicked man is prayer. You know, ladies and gentlemen, notice it wasn't human weapons of warfare that saved David but divine weapons that have divine power to destroy strongholds. It was, God, it was David's prayers. The prayers that God put on his heart to pray back to himself so that he could see God's power at work. Years ago, I was on staff with Campus Crusade for Christ. That's before it became known as Crew back in the 1990s. And Dr. Bill Bright, the founder, towards the end of his life, did this big thing about fasting and prayer. And he called people to fast and to pray for 40 days. And Dr. Bright did it five separate times. And he was asked one time, Dr. Bright, what are you specifically praying for <clears throat> um, during this time? And he was not shy. And he said, I am praying and I have my target on the Supreme Court. I remember some years after that, at one point of my frustration with God on his lack of answering prayer, I, I, I said to God, God... Where are all the positive effects of the prayer that Dr. Bright prayed for? Do you really hear with the Supreme Court? And now this June, I hear the answer as we watched 50 years of Roe versus Wade be overturned. 
Psalm 58, verse 10 and 11 says, the righteous will rejoice when he sees vengeance. He will bathe his feet in the blood of the wicked. Mankind will say, surely there is a reward for the righteous. Surely there is a God who judges on the earth. My dear friends, I don't know what you're going through. Betrayal is a deep pain. And when the Lord tarries, it can be just a humbling pain. And you see sin in your heart like you've never seen before. And that's where we got to keep coming back to the Lord and cast our cares upon him because what? He will sustain you. He will sustain you because he is just. He will sustain you because he's good. And he will sustain you because he loves you. Because he, he, beloved, cares for you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your faithful word that is true. Lord, I'm sure in a crowd this size, there are people like myself in times present and times past that are feeling the pain of betrayal. Help us to forgive. Help us to trust in your justice. Give us words that we may say or the patience to endure, knowing that you, our faithful Lord, are not unaware. You are not asleep but you are quite cognizant of every detail going on. Help us to trust in you, and we look forward to what you will do. And we ask that in Christ's name. Amen.